We all want happy, healthy families, and that quest for good health begins at birth. Sadly, many of our nation's infants have a much more difficult journey reaching their first birthday than other infants. African-American babies, for instance, are as much as two and a half times less likely to reach their first birthday than Caucasian babies. This disturbing disparity has given rise to a national forum, a forum wherein healthcare professionals, birth workers, policymakers, and family planning experts share information and ideas to combat the scourge of black infant mortality and maternal morbidity. Welcome to the GAP podcast series. Hi, I'm Lindell, and welcome to a new episode of the GAP podcast series. We're in for a particular treat today with our guest, but we're going to get to that later, and you're going to get an opportunity to meet him. But before we slide into our guest in the interview today, there's just something that I want to talk with the listeners about. We're going to spend time over the next few months really dealing with issues of justice. Is justice an empty word that's devoid of depth, or is it something that we should clothe ourselves with? Now, being a kid who grew up in Sunday school and in the Church of God in Christ, with parents who were heavily involved as educators, we embrace the word justice from the original sacred text, and that is the word mishpat. The literal and expanded definition of mishpat is a practical stance that I as a human, and we as a collective of human beings, how do we behave as it relates to the quartet of the vulnerable? Now that quartet of the vulnerable consists of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and persons who are poor. The way that we intentionally choose to treat them should be informed by our understanding that first, we must acknowledge that they are suffering and seeking to eliminate that suffering should be top of mind for all of us. Now the us that I'm referencing should be those who are either Christ followers or those who choose with intent to embrace the belief patterns and wisdom from the sacred text. But how do we stray so far from this ideal of justice to a place where we believe that anyone in the quartet of the vulnerable in America exists in that space because of their own choosing and that they are enemies and less than because they're not winning at life? Well, on this show, we talk a lot about healthcare, about health inequities, the social determinants of health, because having quality of health and access to healthcare and access to treatment is typically something that the vulnerable among us simply don't have access to, at least not consistently. As you've heard me say repeatedly on this show, black folk in America, we watch our infants die before their first birthday at absolutely stunning rates compared to other persons in the US. Of course, the life expectancy for black Americans is significantly shorter than other groups. The incidence of cardiovascular events and cancers higher. Each of these metrics place us under the category of the vulnerable. The reality is that these societal and historical facts are often ignored or cast aside. Vulnerable humans are blamed for their own plight. They are seen as architects of their own reality. Now for black folks in America, this is nothing new. Our status in America has always been less than. By whatever measure we choose to parse the data as it relates to health, blacks are always less than and often blame for their healthcare inequities. But since we are a self-proclaimed Christian nation founded on the tenets of Christian wisdom, then the idea and reality of this beautiful word mishpat 
needs to inform our choices and influence the reality of healthcare in America. If the overarching mental frame in which you define your worldview is that a certain group of people is less than you and responsible for their own situation, and although they are vulnerable, their vulnerability is an act of will, then it's easy to become apathetic toward their plight. The indifference that you have toward them overwhelms you like a fog. Now, the entire justification for enslaving and degrading Black Americans who worked the soil, picked the cotton, emptied the chamber pot, and nursed the babies is that they were less than. As I promised you today, we're in for a real treat because we have with us a man who has dedicated his life to matters of justice. This man, I'm proud to call him a friend. He's a brilliant academic with a doctorate from Southern Methodist University. He leads the Dallas County Justice Initiative, is an advisor to the important organization Remembering Black Dallas. He has an award-winning show called The Commish, which he's never invited me to be on, by the way, and his nickname is The Commish. So to the brilliant Ed Gray, the commish, welcome to the Gap Podcast Series, my brother and friend. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. I'm very humble about being here and and also the accolades you just gave me. But normally when they give these accolades, they normally have some kind of staged, you know, noise deal. You don't have none of that going on here, man. We're going to add that in post-production, brother. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, we'll put that in in post. We got you on that. Okay, good. The champ is here. I just got a role like that, man. We know how you are, man. You're an important guy. I mean, I've been with you several times. I'll mention something to you, and you'll just like whip out your phone and say, oh, yeah, I know him. Oh, yeah, I know her. And then you'll call them, and then they'll like pick up the phone. And I call folks, and it just all goes to voicemail. And you call people, and they're like, uh, yes, sir, Kamish, how can I help you? I'm like, man, you roll. You godfather tendencies, man. Well, hey, I can't help that, man. I've worked long and hard with that, you know. 61 years of living and over 50 years of, you know, just uh, in the vineyard, just helping people out. And I'm just very blessed that they return phone calls. So thank you. They do. I mean, I know that for a fact because I've seen it up close and personal when we're in restaurants or just out hanging out or whatever. But before we kind of get into your personal journey of how you really came to embrace the ideals, the tenets of justice, before we get into that, I want just from your unique perspective, as a writer, as an academician, as a political theorist, as a consultant, I want you to just kind of give our audience a 30,000-foot overview of the current state of social justice in the U.S. And I want you to really think about it, Ed, for our listeners, in really three domains, in the domain of politics, in the domain of healthcare, and in the domain of economics. What is your take on the current state of social justice in the United States? Welcome to the uh, second reconstruction. That's pretty well it. The second reconstruction is what we're dealing with now. The first reconstruction was after Lincoln was shot and you had the pushback, the white backlash of freeing African-Americans. That's what we have now because the pushback now is that America woke up one day and found a black man living in a white house. And then as a result of that, you have a greater pushback. We've always had to push and move forward. But this time the pushback has been more fiercely. Never before since the American Civil War 
that we found this type of pushback. And that's where we're at social justice-wise. How else can it be that a young adolescent, black boy, 17 years old, walking down the street, Skittles, Arizona iced tea, they're not advertising, I shouldn't even say what he was eating, but everyone knows what he was eating and drinking, trying to go home to his home in a gated community when someone comes along and then decides that he's dangerous because he's having a hoodie, like I have one on right now, and he didn't make it home. And then when you end up having that happen and people who are well-meaning people in the United States start protesting or start saying that that was wrong, that you got pushback. And that's what happened with me being at SMU, pursuing my uh, master's degree at that time. Now I'm pursuing a doctorate. And so we're talking about something that happened years back, but now still relevant now, because back then, this is what I said, America's soul was awakened to the fact that we are still separate and we're still unequal, despite the fact that you could have a black man living in a White House, which is Obama. They couldn't get that man, so any man would do. So it became Trayvon. It became all the way to the present day that we have right now. That is how I see from the 30,000 viewpoint that you asked me to talk about. That's what I see America today. And that was an insanely erudite response to my question. And I want to drill down now and just look at this issue of social justice, but to look at it through really three different lenses. I want to get your thoughts about three different domains. And those domains are politics, healthcare, and economics. And I'm going to say this to you up front. As I was just kind of preparing for this podcast today to visit with you, knowing like how smart you are, I wanted to make sure I was prepared. There's only been three black governors in the history of the United States of America. And in terms of the current Congress, there's 49 black Democrats. There's five black Republicans. I'm not quite sure what that means. And in the history of the U.S. Congress, there have been 11 blacks elected to that very august body known as the Senate. So with that historical frame in mind, just kind of speak to your like 30,000 foot analysis of social justice in America as it particularly relates to politics. Well, you know, as you could tell from the earlier answer from the 30,000 feet, you know, I get fired up when I talk about this kind of thing, you know. I have a political science degree, it's a bachelor's degree, and I've been studying this all my life as well, and you had a fantastic stats. 11 black senators, five black Republicans now in Congress. I believe that as a African-American, we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to be involved in the justice system and the justice system regarding uh, the political portion of it. And I'm happy about that because when I was uh, in Congress, and I wasn't in Congress as a congressman, I was a congressional intern. I was 16 years old, and that's one of the job, first job I ever held outside of being a paper boy. I used to watch people like Jesse Jackson walk down the hallway every day, and it was kind of strange then because you could only count 16 black people that were in Congress, and now you count more than that. We have to change things, and the way we change things is we change things politically, and that's good that we're doing it. And Having five black Republicans, you say, I don't know what that means. I understand exactly 
how you feel on that. Just because we all got black skin, we ain't all kin. So when we end up having that, we definitely have a different perspective. And I think having a different perspective is good. But as long as we have the same perspective, and I call it the 3 o'clock a.m. perspective, that's the perspective you have when it's 3 o'clock a.m. and the police stops you. He doesn't care, as Malcolm X says, whether or not you are a Baptist, a Muslim, Democrat, or Republican. He doesn't care about that. It's what you see. And that's where we're at politically, is that we have a moral obligation, regardless of whether or not we come from a black perspective of being a Republican or a black perspective of being a Democrat in order to change. And I believe that we're making progress on that. But it did pain me to see that that brother, when they were trying to elect, I think it was after 15 rounds of fighting, so to speak, they elected the Speaker of the House, McCarthy, that that brother allowed himself to be used just to be used, just so they could say they, meaning Republicans, could say we can nominate a black person too, when another black person, Hakeem Jeffries, who is the minority leader, no pun intended, the minority leader of the House of Representatives, was duly elected by everybody. So we then see how the Republican Party is doing things. Being a part of the Republican Party is like it was for me in the 70s when my family moved from a black neighborhood to a white neighborhood. And all of the white people who lived in the neighborhood that we moved into, moved into another neighborhood. And that's essentially what we have in Congress today. We have a situation in which it is still, as far as I'm considered, segregated politics. You have one political party that will try to help people to reduce the black infant mortality rate, help people reduce the maternal morbidity rate, and are for expanding Medicare where a lot of our African-Americans are in, are on, and then we have another party that says, basically, to hell with that. We're not going to do any of that, which will indeed increase the black infant mortality rate, which will indeed increase the maternal morbidity rate, and will also decrease the life expectancy. So that's the importance from 30,000 feet now going down to maybe the six feet, one feet, of which where I'm at right now, or what I see. continue with your drill down from 30,000 feet and I want to just briefly I want to hit the healthcare frame the healthcare domain and I'm going to lead into it by saying the life expectancy for African American males in the United States of America currently is 68 years 3 months for African American females it's 75 years and 8 months that's significantly lower than any other demographic in the United States but just frame up for me or give us, give our listeners really your opinion about just social justice in America as it relates to health outcomes and the fact that, as you know, and I'll shut up and let you answer, the two bifurcated metrics that 
are used to assess the quality of life in any society are infant mortality and life expectancy. In infant mortality, black infants get to their first birthday at a much lesser rate than infants of any other ethnic group. So we're losing kids on the front end because of black infant mortality, the number of deaths per 1,000 live births, but we're also losing folks on the back end shorter because life expectancy, 68 years, three months. 68 years, three months. Huh? You know, the other day someone called me and asked me to refinance my home. And what you just said, 68 years, three months, I should just tell them, no, I don't want to refinance. <laughs> So ain't no need me even doing that. Man, it's like, you know, you, you know, you're playing. Oh, why why I want to do that? <laughs> you know, you're playing sports, man. And, you and know, like, you, six to eight years, three months. You look up and see that clock, man. No, I'm living in the fourth quarter of life. I know it. And I've told good friends before, that's what kind of quarter I'm living in, the fourth quarter of life in which, you know, I do see, see it going. And it's like, if I'm living six to eight years, three months, and my wife is going to live to be 75 years, she's playing in. Well, overtime. And, you know, and that's what it is. And I'm trying to get the best I can out of this. And the best I can out of this is what remaining years I have left, being I'm 61 now. I want to extend the playing field and the clock. And a lot of this is what we're dealing with is how we are living day to day, how we're eating day to day as well. And that's the number one thing that we're doing. I know you you work with a lot of health professionals, and I know you're working with the black infant mortality and the maternal morbidity, trying to get those levels right to where it's no longer 290 lost lives per 100,000 if you're white, 894 lost lives per 100,000 if you're black. And that's what we're dealing with now. And I know this firsthand because I lost a child through uh, infant mortality as well. So I, I understand picking a s- small casket out and picking the clothes out. This past year, I ended up losing a cousin through maternal morbidity as well. And she also lost her child in childbirth as well. I understand that. So when you're saying this, this is no more a deal of me reading some stats off. This is just me remembering things that we try to put back in the back of our head. But as we move forward, we realize that we have to do things We have to change things, and part of that is that we have to uh, go to the doctor more. We need more black doctors. We need more black nurses, practitioners. We need those because it seems that there is discrimination in the healthcare industry. In the healthcare industry, discrimination will be from the mere fact there is a bias that that exists, implicit, explicit, or just downright, I don't give a damn, bias that exists in the healthcare profession when it comes to African-Americans. African-American woman can go in and complain about her illness, and then the doctor, who's a white doctor, says she's just complaining. African-American males are told they need to just toughen up and man up, and they don't go. And then as a result of that, we end up dying. And that's what I'm saying on the backside of it. We were talking about the longevity, the lifespan of an African-American, how you catch it at the beginning. I just talked about how we end up catching it, if you will, or not getting our life expectancy started because we die through infant mortality. And then as we go to the end, we talk about how we respond. If we do go to the hospital, if we go to the doctor, they prescribe us a lot of times, 
with pills that go ahead and accelerate other things to go wrong with. Wow. Well, on that note, we're going to go to break. You're listening to the Gap Podcast Series. Our in-studio guest today is the extraordinary Ed Gray, also known as the Kamish. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Gap Podcast Series. Today's guest, Ed Gray, the Kamish. This is one smart man. I wanted to have Ed drill down on some of the work that he's doing in Dallas County or even in Dallas proper on matters of environmental justice. Ed's uh, really good friends with a gentleman, Dr. Bullard, who is from, I think, Texas Southern University or perhaps I know he's in Houston. I'm not sure what. Yeah, that's it. He is from TSU. Okay. And he's called the father of environmental justice. And he is one of the plethora of folks that Ed knows. And so Ed's involved heavily in matters of environmental justice. So I just, I want to just get him, give Ed an opportunity to just kind of talk about the work that he's doing in environmental justice. I know he was invited to speak at some prestigious conference at SMU for Black History Month which was last week. So, yeah, just talk about environmental justice and environmental racism and whatever path you want to go down regarding that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity for talking to you about that. Environmental justice is what my dissertation is on regarding it uh, and how we make it go black stream, mainstream. You know, when most black folk think about environmentalism, they think about saving the whales. You know, that used to be a popular thing back in the day. You know, save the whales. Save the whales. Well, we don't save the whales. Save the whales. And most black folk go like, I'm nowhere near no ocean for me to be saving no whales in the first place. So then they started thinking about the birds, you know, the birds and the bees. They said, well, wait a minute, hold on. I'm in the urban environment. There's no such thing as, you know, birds and bees where I live at. There's no bees around here, you know. As a matter of fact, I put insecticide on my yard, there ain't even no ants. So, you know, so there's no such thing when it comes to that. When it comes to that, black folks, generally speaking, say, we're not with that. But Bob Bullard, he told me, he said that, Ed, we are about that. And most of the environment that we live in, most people who, who have the asthma attacks, and things of that nature, it's because they live in areas in which zoning has been permitted to put industrial sites in our community. Or the mere fact, through segregation, we could not live anywhere else, and developers develop tracts of land next to these sites, and then we end up dying. That's what happened in West Dallas, West Dallas housing projects. If you're on the keeping it real with sports on the Tom Landry Freeway, if you're on the Tom Landry Freeway and you're trying to go from the American Airlines Center and then you're trying to go over to watch the Cowboys play in Arlington, you pass by the lead smelter. Still there. But during that time frame, thousands of people died because of lead exposure. That's what I'm doing here in Dallas now, putting forth the message that a lot of this has occurred and a lot of this is still occurring. And it's occurring through environmental racism, the environmental racism that we don't even know, that we just expect it to happen because we're part of the unwanted people. 
Local unwanted land usage is what they call it in zoning, where you zone what nobody else wants and you put it in an area where nobody wants to go. That's a good opportunity for us in our conversation to segue and just talk about your work as the executive director or the leader of the Dallas County Justice Initiative. So if you could, Ed, just give us kind of the vision or the mission and purpose, if you will, of the Dallas County Justice Initiative and kind of what your role and responsibilities are in that context. Man, I love these questions when you already know the answers to I really do that, babe. Man, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not I smart like you, bro. I just love this. I know we're doing this for the people that's listening on this podcast, which they're listening to on Apple and Spotify and so forth. Hey, Stitcher. I see Stitcher. Yeah, you got to yeah, yeah. put all of them in there, man. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, man. yeah. That's wherever, what you're, wherever you get your podcast from. There you go. You got to say it all. You got to say it all. Man. I see how you put the Stitcher in there. Wherever you get your podcast that's from. That's it. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we make podcasts for people to listen to. That's, that's, you know, not that's just right. to sit on a server somewhere. Yeah, now we want you to listen to it. We also want you to share it as well. I'm looking at all these wonderful movie posters, man. You got Just Mercies on there? You remember the movie Just Mercies, right? Yeah, I remember. I mean, my birthday is, is in the fall. So, if you want to get me that poster and oh, frame it, okay. I'll take it. Okay, well, that's what this is about. You know, the Dallas County Justice Initiative is about just that movie. Just mercy. Okay. So it's, you know, we're drilling down 30,000 feet, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative. You know, that's in Montgomery, Alabama, where they uh, have the uh, museum at where all of the lynchings occurred and everything, where all of the, the soil samples from the lynchings that occurred throughout America, they're shipped there so people can realize the atrocities that occurred regarding lynching and also the disparate sentencing that you end up having in which African-Americans are sentenced to uh, prison and also the death penalty where people get the death penalty in disproportionate terms as well. And a lot of times they're innocent. You know, so that's what the Equal Justice Initiative is about on the national level. We also have affiliates here that are in Dallas as well. And the one that's in Dallas, I happen to be the leader of it. And it is called the Dallas County Justice Initiative. And we uh, shed light on the legacy of racial violence in our city. A lot of people don't realize that 10,000 people showed up at a lynching that occurred on March 6, 1910 in Dallas, Texas, in the heart of downtown Dallas, where all these skyscrapers are looking at. And people looked from the skyscrapers and looked down on a lynching that occurred on Main Street. Main Street and Akron. You can't get no more center in the city of Dallas than Main Street and Akron. That is the geographical center. Alan Brooks, Nikki Brooks's grandfather. I know the lady's name because she's, a, ironically, a Facebook friend of mine. But her grandfather was lynched at that site. So we, the members of the Dallas County Justice Initiative, got together with our allies and we led the fight to put a historical marker designating the spot where a man was lynched. I want our listeners, I know they're listening to us on the podcast, go ahead and Google his name, Alan Brooks. There's posters 
of him showing that he, how he was lynched, how he was thrown out head first of the Dallas County Courthouse, and how he was drugged six long blocks to the center of town. The Elks Arch, which was a prominent thing in Dallas at that time, they hung him from that town post. And people came around to see it. 10,000 people saw it. So we've made it our mission to uh, talk about and illustrate these points. And we are still making the points that black people and black women were lynched as well. And uh, I know you've done some work regarding JFK, but within mere 100 yards of where President Kennedy was shot and killed is the site of another lynching spot in which three African-Americans were lynched in 1860. And Jane Elkins was capital murdered in 1857 for resisting and killing her white enslaver rapists. So what we're doing now is we're making sure that there is a proper historical designation in that area, at that park. It's a park now. It's a park. It's ironic in Dallas. Every time there's a park, there appears to be a lynching. It's like you don't want to go to the park, you know, because bad things normally happen to black people when they go to to that park. So Modest Park, we want to make sure we get historical designation for that. So we're working with the city involving that. I have meetings that are coming up regarding that. And Trinity Overlook Park, if you've been to West Dallas, West Dallas near downtown, near the uh, Trinity River, obviously, Trinity Overlook Park. You know, we Texas finishes like 45th in the United States when it comes to education, so we have to make it very simple in Texas sometimes. Trinity Overlook Park, which means Trinity River, overlooking the Trinity River. So Trinity Overlook Park is another site of another lynching that occurred there as well. So uh, that's what we're doing. We're making sure that we get these historical markers out because it's people like Rondi. What's the boy's name down in Florida, Governor? D. Santana's? Well, anyway, he's now doing this deal now where they're trying to make sure that they don't teach black history, which is American history. You can't have black history in America if it ain't American. So now you end up having people such as the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who's talking about we don't need diversity, equity, and inclusion. So watch out. Black history may not be a thing that we study if these governors have these policies that they want to put in place. But our goal as members of the Dallas County Justice Initiative and our goal as members of the Equal Justice Initiative is to make sure that America doesn't forget because we sure in the hell ain't forgotten. So, Ed, for any of our listeners that might be interested in supporting or joining forces with you guys in Dallas County Justice Initiative, how can they learn more about it? How can they find you or find a place where they can tap into the organization? Okay, so you can go to our website, which is www.dallascji.com for more information. Come for more information. And also, we are at... uh, Our local office is at 1408 North Washington Avenue, Suite 220. Okay, give us that web address again. www.dallascji.com. Dallascji.com for Dallas County Justice Initiative, of which Ed Gray is the 
Executive Director. You know, we're coming up on an hour, so I'm going to have to get you, if you're willing, to come back and just talk about several of the other things that were kind of on my list today, but we're not going to be able to get to, so I'll have to get a commitment from you to return. But before I end the show, I want to give you the microphone and have you just comment on anything that you want to say. It can be related to what we've talked about or not connected to what we've talked about or just kind of whatever. I just want to give you the microphone and just kind of have you make you know, your own final statement about justice, about the podcast, about whatever you want to talk about. So I want to give you the floor. Oh, well, thank you very much for allowing me to come through here. And this is very awe-inspiring to look at the poster that you have here on the Gap Podcast. The infant mortality rate is something that I think we need to address more so. A lot of black folk, they don't even look at that. They just take it for granted that when you go to the hospital, you go to the doctor, that the child's going to come home. And sometimes the child doesn't come home, and they come home, they don't stay there long enough. I know from personal experience how that feels, how a child can look in the basket and say, baby, gone. And then you have to tell the child that the baby's gone, it's not going to come back again. The importance of what you're doing here is waking people up. And when we say we're woke, and there appears to be a lot of talk about being woke, we have one side who say they're against this woke culture. So if they're saying they're against this woke culture, what does that mean for them? If they're against being woke, that means they want to continue to be asleep. Continuing to be asleep. It's not good for none of this when there's a fire that's going on in America. And the fire that's going on in America is the fact that this country, which is the richest country in the world, the richest country that has ever existed in mankind, can still have 290 out of 100,000 births. That's white births. In a country like this, 290 children don't come home to be in that bassinet. And then when we look at African-Americans, 894, that's almost 1,000, don't come home to be in that bassinet. The importance of what you're doing and with this podcast, the Underscore Gap podcast, I want to make sure I get it right. I don't want nobody going to try to buy no clothes. But what we're talking about here is as we get ready to close this show today is that we want people to be informed more so and once they are woke, do something about it. You have one side that want to put you to sleep. Then you have another side who say, I'm woke. And then when they're woke, they don't do anything. So what we want you to do is share this podcast. We want you to join the Dallas County Justice Initiative. Join any organization that's moving forward. And if an organization that's out there that's standing still, if you're in it, then you make it move forward. And once you do that, we will all be moving forward. I'd like to thank you, Mr. Singleton, for having me on your podcast. And you had me already when I saw the poster for Rising, the Hall of Negro Life there. If you could give me one of those posters, I'll come back on your show because I need to have this at my home because it's great history of Dallas and what's going on in Dallas. And as a historian, I'd like to thank you and welcome you to Dallas and thank you for what you're doing here. Appreciate being on your show. 
Well, thank you for those kind words. Yeah, you want a poster for Rising. Since you know the directors, I think it's pretty relevant that you're going to get one of those posters. Thanks again for being on the show. Wow, I am, as always, blown away by your depth of knowledge, your insight into the world, a world that I don't really know a lot about, but I appreciate you just kind of taking me on that journey. You are listening to The Gap Podcast Series. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Gap Podcast Series is produced by Limeville Entertainment in association with Sagasse Media Group. Also, be sure to visit us online at 365plusone.org. That's 365plusone.org. Dot 